All right, let's go ahead and read our verse together today. Um, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> all right. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to chapter 5 in the second lesson from James chapter 5, and we're dealing with how to deal with patience, have patience during trials. And obviously, we're dealing with this whole issue with, with the intro this morning and, and this perspective. Verse 7 begins, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take or consider the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The desire for instant gratification. I'm beginning this today because often we as human beings are impatient people. We are in a hurry, okay? We live in an instant gratification culture. What I would like to, you to do right now around your tables, I want you to say, what are examples of things that people want or expect today instantly that are destructive? What has caused this to occur? And is seeking pleasure wrong? It depends. And then we're going to talk about these things. So talk around your tables or next to each other about these things. What are some examples of destructive instant gratification? And why has this occurred within our culture? All right, got to wrap that up. I'm going to start off with one that probably many people, I mean, you may think of it, and I'm anxious, probably some of you go, yeah, everyone at this table did. Fast food. <laughs> and I mean even things like, not just fast food restaurants like McDonald's, Burger King, etc., I'm talking about microwave dinners. What, what, what ends up happening is that we want things now, but what can happen if we're not careful is that we, we, can, we stop eating together as a family because everybody can get their own thing. I'm gonna just pick up something on the way home, I'll stop off and grab something, and we, we just stop talking. We, we, we have a microwave dinner, and where do typically people watch or I mean watch, listen to me. What do they do when they're eating a microwave dinner? They watch TV or whatever. You know, and so that that is so let me get some answers from you. Where or what are some examples of instant gratification that we is appropriate with children? Um, yes. Ooh. Borrowing money that you can't afford to pay back because you want something now. Or you think everything will be fine because it's only $29 a month until something else comes in that takes away the $29 a month. Yeah, somebody else. 
lottery. Or becoming instantly rich. Yeah, the idea of, of paying into the lottery in hopes of becoming rich. Although I would like to be challenged by that at some point, and we yeah. can bear each other's burden. I'd help him. Yeah, yeah. There, is, there is this struggle. I, I think I've shared this before in class, but probably 10 years, 10, 15 years ago, it was probably closer to 15 years ago, I was at a 7-Eleven here in Lynchburg down by T.C. Miller School because I volunteered there with a uh, program that we started in Kiwanis called um, um, Terrific Kids. And we would go there and we'd provide some things for them. And I, I got, grabbed a cup of coffee and was standing at the 7-Eleven and there was a gentleman in front of me and I do not exaggerate. He bought lottery tickets, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, and got scratchers, walked over, scratched, and left. And I was standing there mortified because I've never seen that in person. I mean, people do that, I know. It's not, you know, it's not a big deal, but and the person behind the counter said, he does that two or three times a week. Invested, dude, you're gonna get rich if you do that every week. Imagine two to three hundred dollars a week. I'm sure he's trying to win so he can give more to God. <laughs> yes. Anybody else? Examples? Yeah, Bob. Uh, the the road, people getting out of our way. Yeah, we just want people to get out of our way. So we're we're always in a hurry going someplace. And, and just the, the idea of just driving <laughs> driving safely is gone. It's get out of my way. Yeah. What do you think has caused this? Impatience. Impatience. Society. Our society. What about our society, though? I think you're right on the money. What about our society? Yeah, they're pushing the government, society itself, you know, those in leadership are providing this whole idea of self-satisfaction, get it now, you know, th this will be, make you happy. You see it in every single commercial from Medicare, you, know, you deserve this, it's yours. Yeah. You're entitled, it's mine, it's, it's, it's a one thing, it's a one person focus. In every advertisement from children's cereal all the way up, Medicaid catheters, it's, and everything in the middle, it's yours. Yeah. Have it your way. It's all about me. It's all about me. Yeah. You see that constantly. But is seeking pleasure wrong? No, not necessarily. It depends. John 10.10, someone read that for me. Jesus said, I, I've come to give them life and have it to the full. Have life abundantly. The abundant Christian life. Does, it, does God want you to have an Eeyore Christian life? No. I'm a Christian. Life stinks. There is no fun. You know, praise God. I'm going to die. But. 
Yeah. Burger King. Absolutely. I remember that. I remember that commercial. You were yeah. a child. I was a child. <laughs> yes. And we didn't have we didn't have a Burger King in our town. We only had a Burger Chef. And they're no longer in existence. So that's interesting. So how can we balance John 10, 10, the abundant life of Jesus against instant gratification? He wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to have life to the full. He wants you to be satisfied and happy. And yet, he doesn't want this idea of instant gratification. What's the difference? Excellent. He wants our satisfaction to come in him and not things that ultimately mean nothing will be destroyed. Tish. Well, just like it says in Proverbs, if you try to get rich hastily, there's usually evil behind it. Yeah. And it won't last. That's right. We, we tend to want things quickly that don't last. But there are things that truly last forever. And that is our relationship with the Lord and the joy that can come from him and we follow his word be patient during trials Jesus is coming okay we read this earlier until the Lord's coming and he gives this example of the farmer okay that waits uh, for the land to yield its valuable crop we need to have an eternal perspective on our lives in other words folks it may be today it may be 50 years from now it may be 100 years from now for some of you if you live into your hundreds. Okay? But we're going to be with Jesus one day. Amen. This is not our home. It's not where we're going to spend eternity. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be completely different. Don't focus your life only on now. What does that mean? That I put all of my value, all of my perspective on now to, this is the only thing that's going to make me happy no the bible get, clearly says store treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt nor thieves break through and steal store it for yourselves in other words think about eternity okay if not we can become easily discouraged when times get tough in other words if we don't have a, an eternal perspective on life this is not all there is we can get easily discouraged when things are going difficult for us because we think it's all about now. It's like how many times when we're in pain, all we can think, even if that pain is a hangnail, even if it is, it's just something small on our body that creates a lot of pain, everything focuses on that one thing. And then once it's gone, it's like, whoop, I'm good now. Everything's, I'm good. And we, we, we so at times wrap ourselves up in the moment that we can't think about what's really the future. In other words, here's a, a practical example. We talked about it when I was joking or discussing the person who was paying $100, $200, $300 a week buying lottery tickets. We all have a desire to hopefully prepare for our future. Hopefully you are not just so focused on instant gratification that you're investing for retirement if you're working. 
that you're planning for the future, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing evil in that. It's good that you do that, that you're paying off debt, and that you're doing the things to prepare for the future. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens at times is that what, what, what can happen is, is that a young person, for example, today, one of the most challenging things to get them to do is to think about tomorrow. We're trying to help them think beyond the moment into planning for their future because sometimes they can get discouraged. I, you know, you know, we joke, well, Social Security's not gonna be around. We don't know if Social Security's gonna be around. We joke about that and talk about it and we seriously are concerned about that. What about our kids? And so sometimes our kids, are, because of all the discouraging things they hear around them, can't even dream of a possible future. So you better be happy now because it may not be here tomorrow. And so that idea just kind of, it's not even on their, on their radar because everybody else is saying it's gonna be terrible, so why should we even try? And so we, we need to reaffirm re that idea of planning for the future, consider the ant who plans during the summer so he has something in winter. There's a biblical principle to that. But if we have this instant gratification, we, we, we can buy things now, buy things now, and be happy now. But later, we may not be able to, to we become dependent, rather than parents being able to take care of children and grandchildren, parents become dependent upon children and grandchildren. And that's not for the way that God intended it to be. But we have to do this. And so we, he says, remind you about this. Be careful, act like the farmer. Be patient like the farmer who has no control over the weather. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring, okay? We don't know whether there's gonna be a storm or not. We don't know whether there's gonna be a hailstorm that's gonna wipe out our wheat crop. We have, no, we have no knowledge of tomorrow, but we know today to trust patiently on the Lord and to seek his blessing. I have, that farmer has to wait for the crops to grow. There is nothing more thrilling to me I remember doing this multiple times, um, and even for example this year. How many of you like perennials? You like planting perennials because you don't have to replant them every year; they don't, they come back. But have you ever, in the beginning of this time of the year, usually around the end of March, beginning of April, you're looking for a perennial to start regrowing, and you get so excited? I know I do. I'm sorry, I'm weird, but. I get really excited when I see perennials coming back up. It's like, yes. They're, it's like the Linton roses are beginning to bloom right now. Amazing. You know, it's like, ah, oh, this is great. But you know, the farmer, they just have to wait. They don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. So they must harvest the crops and also then preserve them for the future. So they wait for them, to, they, they, they have no control of the weather. They've gotta wait for the crops to grow. They have. And when it does come, then they have to harvest the crops and preserve them for the future. They can do all of this work and it can all be destroyed in an instant. That's like our life. That's why trusting in the Lord is essential and be patient. We should be patient because the Lord's coming soon. Now, remember, this is James. He's the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And he says, be patient because the Lord is coming soon. How long ago was that? 2,000 years and you're going, uh, yes. 
Their anticipation for the Lord's return was imminent then as it is for us today. Now, honestly, I would like to see a raise of hands because of everything going on right now. How many of you thought, I believe the Lord could return in my lifetime? And so you should. That's the way we should think. Just like James did. We should believe, that, hey, we've got to make sure we're doing everything we can properly right now. Because the Lord is returned as soon. This is the great hope of the church. So how does this then relate to suffering? It's not a rhetorical question. I'm going to seek response. So how does this idea, the Lord's going to return soon, is important in relationship to suffering? Because you can endure it, knowing that this is not it. Imagine if you lived your life and were suffering, and you were going through difficult times, and when you were in the grave, it was over. How discouraging in that is that? Bertrand Russell was an English writer, and philosopher, and he made this statement. Paraphrase. The greatest question that I have to ask myself is, is life worth living or is suicide the right answer? You know how many people think that way? Because in his mind, if you're not happy and there is no hope, then why are we here? Why do we exist? And why has our children and grandchildren today, many of them, their, their lives are gone because in their minds at times, now some of it's mental illness, but sometimes in our culture today, we're not giving them hope. The culture isn't giving them hope. And they're not able to see God as their hope because of all the things happening around them. And that's why the church, the body of Christ, we should constantly be telling people over and over and over again, God is good. God loves you. God loves you. You have such great hope. You have great purpose. God wants to do something wonderful through your life. And the hardest thing at times is for them to hear that from us. So sometimes it's not parents that can even communicate that for them to hear us. Because sometimes they're silent to parents. So that's why the body of Christ community is so essential. That we encourage one another. Encourage our children. Encourage other people's children to have hope. And, and a belief in, in what God can do in through their lives. The hope is God is coming. He's coming. Jesus is coming again. Amen? Amen? Jesus, and there's a home. There's a home for us. Don't complain during trials. James 5, 9 says, Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Living with challenges can cause believers to become frustrated, lose patience with others, which can lead to complaining. Think about your own life when you went through trials. And it's true for all of us, I think. When you go through trials, it's really hard to stay up emotionally. It really is. It's hard. So it can be so discouraging. We can become frustrated when we go through difficulties. We can lose patience with others, our children, our spouses, our coworkers, or others, and it can lead to complaining. Why? Why does that happen? Bob. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Is that 
Yes. Sorry. Misspelling there. G R O A N. Change that in your notes. Thank you, Bob. But why do we lose patience? Why do we get frustrated with others? Why do we, we, we get frustrated during trials? Well, we're human. We're human. Exactly. challenges or difficulties or problems. <laughs> but it's not Tish. I was going to say, for me personally, I've seen it with my family, you know, people that claim to be Christian, but yet they expect the world to meet their needs instead of turning to the Lord to meet their needs. Yeah. And it's like as long as you keep doing that, you're going to be angry, frustrated, mad about this, that, and the other when you're looking to the wrong person or the entity for hope. You know, stop looking at the world. They're, they're not meant to Now, this is, I have to be honest with you, I added this week, I didn't want it, I want to, because it was convicting. No, just, every one of these lessons is convicting to me, but 
The word grumble here in James 5, 9 literally means to G-R-O-A-N, groan within oneself or sigh. If I counted the number of times in a day you heard me go, It's not a verbal groan, but it's a verbal groan. It's not with words, it's with noises. And it communicates to those around me, <sighs> I'm frustrated. It's an internal unexpressed emotion, which if we're, we don't keep it check can lead to resentment. I don't like the fact that I'm going through this and I wanna make sure everybody else around me knows What should we do when this happens? Pray. 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 Donna. many blessings, name them one by one. Amen. We will be judged by the Lord. Romans 14, 12 says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Romans 14 is when we deal with um, issues of dispute. Romans 14 is primarily regarding Christian liberty, but it makes a good point here. He says, every one of us is going to give an account of himself to God. That's why right before this, he says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Sometimes we think that that passage is like an evangelist getting excited during a sermon, preaching, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God. Hallelujah. You know, they're going to bow to Jesus and the people go, amen, sick of God. In this context, it's for us, the church. Your knee's going to bow. Your tongue's going to confess. My knee's going to bow. My knee's, uh, tongue's going to confess that Jesus is Lord and not Lou. I'm not Lord. He is. And I'm going to give an account of myself to God one day. And so what I do is really important. Someone read 2 Timothy 4.1. In the viewing and the appearing of his kingdom, I give you this charge. Who will judge the living and the dead? God is our judge. So what we do, even our attitudes are important. It's not just what we do, but the attitude of the heart. See, the judge is, that's Jesus, is standing at the door. Christ's return is imminent. Am I ready for the Lord to return? Is it reflected in my choices and attitude? 
If Jesus were to come today, are we ready for him? Am I ready for him? Not have I prayed to receive Christ as my Savior. Not just that. Receiving Christ as your Savior is essential. It is essential. Because if you don't know Christ when Jesus returns, there is no second chance. If you're to die today, you're either going to be in heaven or in hell. That is the reality, whether we believe it or not. It's the truth. And people are living and going there. Are we ready based on my attitude and my, my lifestyle? Am I ready for the Lord in my choices and in my attitude? James 5, 10 says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Many prophets spoke in the name of the Lord and lived through persecution and trials. The example of Moses, okay? But the people were thirsty in Exodus 17 for water there. They grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried to the Lord, who am I, what am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. He went through this over and over and over again. He was persecuted by his own people because they wouldn't trust in the Lord. The Old Testament prophets, Acts 7, 51 to 52. Here's Stephen. Right before he's stoned, he's going through this thing. He says, you stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You haven't committed yourself to the Lord. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. That's, that's harsh words. The, the prophets of old were persecuted. They were constantly persecuted by people. Don't, we, don't, we don't want to trust the Lord. We've seen him work, but right now, I'd rather trust in the gods of the land. I want to do what makes me happy now. I want what I want now. Other examples you can think of, and for time's sake, we'll stop there. But or I mean, not, not give examples, but you can think of them. James praised those who persevered, and we must persevere as well. How many Old Testament prophets of old were persecuted because of their trust in God? And as you know, we count a bless those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What did Job suffer? Real quick. What did Job suffer? Loss of his family, his children, his wealth, his health, you know? His friends weren't really his friends. Yeah. His friends were more accusatory. Bad things happen to bad people. That's what his friends were basically saying. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things are happening to you. You've been bad. Repent. Let's get on with life. And he's like, uh, no. But he also became frustrated because he's like, um, Lord, I don't get it. He was cursed the day that I was conceived. I don't get it. You know what? We can relate to him, can't we? When we go through difficult times, don't we begin to question the Lord? God, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. I thought you were going to take care of me. You would always be there. You would never leave me nor forsake me. 
And Joe's like, uh, this is a problem. How was God full of compassion and mercy to Job? Job 42, 10 to 17. After Job had prayed for his friends, his lovely friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. Even though it was, it was through the Lord, but Satan was the one who actually did it. It was under the Lord's permission. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jeremiah, Jemima, the second Keziah, the third uh, Karen Hapak. Now in all the land there were found women, there were found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, nowhere, excuse me. And their father granted them an inheritance among with, along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man and full of years. That doesn't take away the pain of his past. It doesn't change anything about his past. He still went through all of that suffering in the midst of everything, trusting the Lord. But I want to make something clear to you. Remember that your trials are never your whole story. Your trials are never your whole story. I'm reminded of the scripture and it came to pass. This too shall pass. Keep trusting in the Lord. Keep believing in the Lord. Keep hoping in the Lord. And one day, though the pain of the past will still be real, it'll still be there. God can provide a way to bring hope and peace and love in your present to help us endure and persevere to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're human. We go through so many different things that we don't want to go through. Loss, suffering, pain, foolishness in our own mind and thinking. God, I, I, we repent and trust in you even in the midst of our difficulties. Lord, we come to you seeking you for who you are. And even though, Lord, we, our brain does not forget, it can sometimes, with your grace and goodness, be overshadowed by your mercy and compassion that's new every morning. May we learn to trust in you Hope in you. Find peace in you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Have a great week.